0: Welcome to another edition of the Dave Pash Podcast. We are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Gila River Hotels and Casinos. You can follow us on Twitter, at pod for updates on future guests and reliving highlights of recent guests. Normally we talk Cardinals and NFL on this podcast, but one of the reasons we started this was to branch out into other sports and also talk with actors and comedians like James Roday and Frank Caliendo, previous guests. So given that the Phoenix Suns are coming off a Western Conference Championship, we thought we would talk with General Manager James Jones about what to expect from the Suns here in 2021-22. I truly believe if we're healthy, if our guys are available, um, I don't think there's anyone better. We will still talk football. James grew up in Miami and is a big Dolphins fan. He'll give his thoughts on the Cardinals and maybe even a comp, an NBA comp for Kyler Murray. But we're also going to talk about the Suns, how they got to the title last year, what he thinks of this year's team. Everybody's talking right now about DeAndre Ayton and the Suns electing not to give him that max extension. James will talk about that what to expect from Devin Booker this year, and whether Chris Paul can play until he's over 40. And LeBron James, somebody that James Jones knows very well, won three championships with LeBron in Cleveland and Miami. James will give his most memorable LeBron James moment in the upcoming podcast. So thanks for tuning in as we talk a little NBA, a little NFL, a little Cardinals and Suns with Phoenix Suns GM James Jones. Well, James, obviously you have an incredibly busy week with the season opener Wednesday against Denver. So I appreciate the time before we get into the Suns and the 2021 season, as well as the upcoming campaign. I want to talk a little football with you because I know growing up in Miami, having uh, played collegiately at the University of Miami, that you're a big Dolphin fan. So give me your take on the Dolphins so far here in 2021.
1: I mean, well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, it's been a tough start to the season. You know, as a Dolphin fan, uh, we've had some tough times and, you know, you, you you wish that you could take advantage of the early part of the season where the weather's uh, in your favor, you know, the, the humidity and the heat. Um, we typically try to get off to a good start, but this year with the injuries with too well. Uh, uh, we struggled, but Coming off a tough loss against Jacksonville, um, I'm still bullish on this team just because I believe in Coach Flores, and I think uh, we have the right uh, culture, we have the right mentality, and now we just have to make the right plays at
0: the right time. So growing up, were you a Bob Greasy fan, a Dan Marino fan, both, one or the other? Who who was like your guy at the quarterback position when you were growing up?
1: Um, I was a Marino uh, era. Like that was, and the greasy, he was before me. Um, but, you know, we had Mark Duper, Mark Clayton, you know, Marino. Um, we had some really good, uh, some really good years. And so I'm a Marino guy all the way.
0: No, I know you're young enough. I knew Greasy was way before you. I just didn't know because obviously they had the last undefeated season, true undefeated season, uh, 1972. How, how much attention do you pay to the Cardinals uh, now that you're living here in the GM of the Suns?
1: Oh, man, I watched them. You know, um, I, I've, always, I've always said, like, I have such a, a, an affinity and a respect for football players. Growing up in Florida, being an ex-football player up until I went to high school, going to the U and playing with a lot of the, the, the world's best football players, Hall of Fame double players, um, just understanding that team dynamic and, and how hard it is to win every play and to win a game in football, I have the utmost respect for those guys. And and I enjoy watching, watching good teams and, you know, Arizona, the Cardinals, I'm here, you know, they're my, they're my one B team. And it's been great to watch them uh, grow. Um, You know, they're, they're teammates. Like they're just like us. I I view us as one big community, one big family of athletes and, and, and guys that are out there just trying to win and bring, you know, pride and respect to their city. So, it's been great to watch them, and you know, as, as much as you know, I wish the Dolphins become or remain the last undefeated team in, in in recent history. I want to make sure I would I would be more than thrilled to see the Cardinals just run the table
0: this year. This is probably James an unfair question, but I was thinking about this last week because I did the Mavs uh, Hornets preseason game last Wednesday, and I threw this out there, and then I thought. Now maybe it's not a good comparison. I I was trying to think of a Kyler Murray NBA comp and I thought about LaMelo Ball because of just his incredible athletic ability and his talent level and his brain. That it probably he's probably more like in in Mahomes in the realm of a, a Patrick Mahomes type than he is a Kyler Murray. Can you think of anybody who might be a Kyler Murray comp in the NBA?
1: Oh man, that's that's a tough one. Um I mean, but if I had to say, I'd probably say. I mean, I don't want to knock, but I'd probably say Trey Young, um, just in the sense that like you watch him as a as a smaller guy, but he just plays so big, like he has such a big impact on the game. So, um, and and offensively, just so talented. Uh, so I would say that um, more more than Lamelo. But I get where you're going with Lamelo because. Um, At such a young age, their command for the the game and anticipating where guys will be and being able to make every throw and every play, um, especially when you need it, is unique. So um, that's 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 pretty spot on, though.
0: But I like the Trey Young, and and honestly, if you really dig deeper, I mean, Steph is older now, but the way Steph, in so many respects, changed the game and changed the NBA with his range, Trey Young is you know kind of a disciple in that regard. I mean Kyler's kind of changing the NFL a little bit. So I don't know the Steph comparison is there, but I do like the Trey Young because of just, you know, how young Trey is. No pun intended. Yeah. I mean,
1: and, yeah. <laughs> no. No, it's, it's they're just they're just young. They're dynamic, man. Like, you know, they're there's they're smaller guys and you people always equate like being smaller at being a disadvantage. Uh, but when you have guys that can use it to their advantage and, and do it at a high level, you have to respect it.
0: So how's Larry doing, Fitzgerald? I don't know how much contact you have on a regular basis with Fitz, but obviously Cardinal fans are you know, interested in his life right now post-football, even though he hasn't come out and said that he's retiring. He's not obviously playing right now. So you know, how much is Larry involved in the Suns, and, and how often do you guys talk?
1: I mean, we, we connect. Um, we connect uh, regularly. Um, he, he's always there um, to, to just, you know, give words of encouragement or insight or perspective, you know, as, as, a, as a high achiever, high performer for so many years. He just sees the game and sport in general differently um, than most people. Uh, so he's good. You know, he's, he's enjoying the time with his family. He's enjoying the time, you know, away from football. Um, but I know that the sons are doing well and the Cardinals are doing well. And so for him,
0: things are awesome. So I'm curious, James, at this time last year, obviously last year was strange coming off the bubble. The performances you guys had in the bubble, I'm sure the expectations were higher than they were going into the previous year. But did you think coming into the season, hey, I I put together a championship team, or were you unsure because of, adding Chris Paul, who obviously has had a lot of success, but hadn't got to that point yet in his career and hoping that DeAndre Ayton would take the next step and Mikael Bridges and Devin Booker. Where were you at this time of year ago with regard to your thoughts on how deep you guys could go in the playoffs, or even if you could get to the playoffs last year?
1: Well, I mean, well, I thought we, we were a legitimate playoff uh, contender last year. Um, whether or not we get to the finals, I, I, even with a, a loaded roster, I've been around this long enough to never uh, assume anything. Um, you get into the playoffs and, and you're, you know, we, we were fortunate. You can be one ankle sprain away from defeat. And, and so for me, the, the, it's always been, the hurdle has always been get to the playoffs. And once you get to the playoffs, if you have a team that can be consistent night in and night out and you have depth, you have a real shot. Uh, I think the best teams, um, best, best healthy teams overcome the unhealthy star-studded teams. And so you just want to in- increase your odds. So I thought by adding Chris, we increased our odds drastically, um, giving ourselves a shot to to make some noise in the playoffs. And then when you, you put together the performances of, of Devin and and DA and Mikel and Cam Johnson and Campaign. Um, you know, Jay Crowder and Troy Craig. When all of those guys have their moments, you you start to believe like, okay, if we can maintain this consistently over the course of you know these twenty eight games or sixteen games, uh, we have a shot. And I thought we did last year, and I definitely believe we have another shot this year.
0: It was so weird for us, James. At ESPN, we didn't travel last year. I did a lot of your games, but I'd be in my house, and I live in Chandler. So here I am, 25 minutes from the arena, and I can't even see you guys in person. Thankfully, that's changed this year. We're back in person. We were in the playoffs last year, but I I didn't have any of your games in the playoffs. But I remember doing some games in January, and I think one of them was with Jeff Van Gundy, and we both said, I think it was the Milwaukee game. I'm trying to remember. In January, but it was after the game. Jeff and I were both like, "Man, that that's a legit team. Like, that that's a playoff team." And this was in January. When did you know that it was real that you guys were? Hey, hey, we got a chance to do something special this year. Was a was there a turning point or a particular game where you really started to believe that it was possible you guys could do what you did?
1: Um, I would say there was a course of a few games, and it was after we got off to our start. I believe we were at 8-8 eight eight or something, 8-7. and seven. We were close to a 500 team at some point. And um, for me, I always say, you know, I told our guys going into last year that, I mean, I'm going to watch how we respond to the dip. I'm going to watch how we respond to the adversity early and see if, if our effort changes, see if our approach changes, you know, see if we stick Stick to our beliefs and we stick to our principles. Or if we start to to flounder and start chasing things outside of our nature, and and we were able to bounce back and string together some victories, um, but they were consistent. You know, they weren't you know us reinventing ourselves. It was doubling down on what we believe. 0.5, moving the ball, defend, communicate. And so when I saw us do that early in the year, and I saw like everyone was committed. To digging deeper and doubling down on our principles, I felt like we have a shot because, I mean, i play played a lot of basketball, watched a lot of basketball. You eventually revert back to your nature and you go back to your principles. And if you can lean on those in times of adversity, I know that uh, they're going to serve you well in, in, in times where, where those opportunities will present themselves for you to have success.
0: As someone, James, who's used to winning, you, you won multiple NBA championships as a player, was the end of last year? How much of it was a celebration of what you accomplished, and maybe this isn't the right term, but how much of it was a funeral? Uh, the way things ended. How excited were you for what you had accomplished, and how disappointed were you for not being able to to close it out?
1: Um, I, I I use the word uh, numb. You know, it, it it leaves you numb and. That works both ways because, you know, if you you have an experience or you experience something that is, like, overwhelming, you don't know how to respond. You're almost kind of, like, at a loss for words. And at the same time, if you experience defeat like we did, it leaves you kind of at a loss for, like, for words and and emotions and thoughts. So I was numb, um, but I got to that place after having years of success and failure um, at the highest level. And and but what happens is when you come out of that, you you know that you don't want to see that spot again. Um, you will see it, but you want to see it on the other side. Like, you want to be numb from success, not defeat. And so it's, it's a fuel for you. And, and and I'm excited for what we can do this year because I believe all of our guys want that other side of that numbness.
0: So let's talk about the team you have going into this game against Denver. you got the Lakers Friday, and then you're off and running obviously everybody's talking right now about the decision not to give the five-year extension to DeAndre Ayton. Can you tell us what went into that decision and why you guys decided not to do the extension for, for the five years?
1: I mean, well, there are a lot of factors, but, but ultimately we just, we, we just couldn't uh, get off of, or we couldn't agree that anything less than a five-year max, um, was acceptable. And, you know, that, that it's, it's, it's odd. I talk about it. It doesn't change how we view Deandre. It doesn't change how we view this team. It doesn't change what we've done. You know, the moves we've made to continue to build this team and grow our continuity and improve our environment so that we can have uh, like real aspirations and goals to win a title and, and, and be legitimate contenders. Um, it just from a, a timing perspective, from a um, um, like strategy standpoint, um, flexibility standpoint, the five-year max just wasn't something that we, we were going to do. And, you know, we didn't get it done, but like I said, that's just for now. Like, we fully intend to, to help DeAndre and see DeAndre and his team progress and get something done. Uh, we just didn't get it done yet.
0: So – as a follow-up was this a a financial decision then was this something that had to do with you just it's hard to project where he's going to be in five years I guess my question is how much is this based on financial how much is it based on potential performance
1: no it's 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 a lot of it just has to do with the the future planning of the team it's Mm -hmm. not financial that that's not the issue right like you, you try to project what your team and what your core guys will look like five or you know, six years from now, that's tough. Um, you know, our, our focus in our window is the next two to three years, and then things can change three to four years from now, and, and you don't know. So from a flexibility standpoint, on both, both sides, from a player and a team perspective, the five years just wasn't something that made sense.
0: Are you concerned about his psyche where he is mentally because of this? Obviously he was hoping to get it. He didn't. So are you worried James at all about kind of where he's going to be mentally? Have you talked to him yet uh, about that?
1: I I mean, I, I care about DeAndre. We care about DeAndre, just like we do the rest of our guys. And we know, um, you know, when guys go into contract years that aren't on Ricky deals, like it's, it's an emotional time. It's one of those things where you question and wonder. Um, so like, I'm, I'm concerned about our guys' mental uh, approach and mental state going into a year with increased heightened expectations uh, to win a title or to be a title contender. So, yeah, I, I care because, you know, this is the toughest part of the job when you have to, you know, deal with the people that you care about and that you're you know, committed to helping um, maximize and opti- optimize their opportunities and maximize their – when you're in these situations, you you know, you, you – you, you concern yourself with how they feel and how they react. But we're going to be here to support them. And I think knowing DeAndre, that he's going to respond um, like he would irrespective of the result, He's going to come out here and he's going to compete. And he's going to try to do whatever he can to help the team win and, and to be the best version of himself. So, and whatever it takes from us to do that, like like I said, we're, we're committed to doing it.
0: So I'm one of the voters for the, for the NBA awards, and, and I voted Devin Booker second team All-NBA last year, and I, I just thought that he had a phenomenal season, and obviously I'm a little bit closer to it because I live here, but I also had Monty as coach of the year, and I was a little disappointed that, I mean, look, Tibbs did a great job, and the Knicks had a great season. It, it just felt like for whatever reason, and maybe it's just because the Suns weren't on as national television as much as they're going to be this year, that the love and respect that I thought that they deserved, maybe they weren't getting from, from some of the other voters. How, how did you guys feel about that? Is that something that angered Devin or angered Monty? Or do you guys say, you know what, that it really doesn't matter? Because there is a financial component to that, to being named All-NBA for the players.
1: No, it, it doesn't matter. You know, our guys, are, are, are they compete for things above money. Um, and, and so those financial incentives or perks aren't what drive them. Um, and in the, to, to, to garner respect from the people that you work with daily and that know you matters so much more than the casual observer or people that are observing you from afar. And so, um, we just talk about respect for the game and, you know, if, if those that are watching our players, our coaches, our staff, if they can say that those guys show a respect for the game every time they compete, that's all we need. You know, The accolades, the you know, attention, um, the recognition, it will come if you win. Um, and if it doesn't, it doesn't bother us um, as long as we achieve our goals of, of, of being the best version of ourselves.
0: What is the next step for Devin? He had a great season. He's still a young guy. What is he, 24, 25, and he's going into year seven? What What are the expectations? What do you think is the next step for him? His toughness, man, it's really stood out, obviously, in the playoffs. That, to me, above all else, was the thing that I've, in a lot of NBA people that I've talked to, that really caught their eye was they knew he could score. We know he's an excellent shooter, um, but it was his toughness, you know, after the broken nose and, you know, playing through that and getting hit several times in the face after that. Um,
1: just to double down on who he is and just to become better at, at what he does. Um, He doesn't have to change anything. He just needs to improve um, and become more efficient. So I think you'll continue to continue to see him uh, figure out how to better balance his, his stretches of aggressiveness, um, how to facilitate and and be more efficient. So um, I I mean, the, the kid, the kid competes and whenever you have a competitor, um, you don't put limits on them. You, uh, you just support them.
0: You played in the NBA for a long time. You were a longtime teammate, teammate of LeBron James. And I want to get to Bron in a second, but you know what makes Chris Paul tick. And it's hard for an outsider uh, like me to to really get it. I mean, I can talk to Chris and have over the years, whether he was with you guys or the, or the Thunder or Houston or the Clippers, or even going back to new Orleans, you know, we've met with Chris a number of times over the years and, you, you watch what he does in terms of his production, but there is an it factor to him. What, why does he make such a difference? What, what is it specifically about him that you notice that wherever he goes, he impacts others and takes his team uh, to a different level?
1: I mean, because Chris is a mad scientist. Um, I, I think if you were to describe someone that lives by or subscribes to the scientific, scientific method that would be chris um he's, he's he's thirsty for knowledge he's always questioning you know he's questioning what we're doing how we're doing it why we're doing it why it works why it doesn't work why would it work in a certain situation why wouldn't it work in a certain situation why is a guy struggling to have success in a certain play you know why is you know this a bad situation for our group um he just has that that mindset of always trying to improve. And so um, that's what makes him tick. Like he's never satisfied. And when he has success, he's always trying to figure out why and why it will be sustainable or won't. Um, That's me personally having spent time with him when I was at the players association and he was the president of the union, watching him balance and manage the NBA game and the union's business. Uh, you just hear him ask why a lot. And because he's so inquisitive, I think he finds answers, um, like answers to these questions a lot faster than most people. And that's why he's able to have so, so much success in such a short period of time in different situations. Uh, because he is comfortable making people uncomfortable or being uncomfortable. Um, but it's all in the pursuit of knowledge and, and excellence. And so he's, he's going to be arguably one of the greatest, if not the greatest point guard of all time, if he continues to play the way he's playing for the next you know, five, 10 years. And uh, that's a testament to his, his desire to to be great.
0: Do you really think he can go five to 10 years? And, and I, I was going to ask you about LeBron James too, and how long since you're as close to him as anybody having won multiple championships with LeBron, both in Miami and Cleveland. How long do you think LeBron plays? Are we entering, as we watch Tom Brady play until his mid-40s, are we entering a time in the NBA where we might see guys like Chris Paul and LeBron James play into their 40s?
1: Uh, without a doubt, I think that happens. And, and I think it's because the assumptions that people make um, aren't grounded in, in the current reality, um, training methods, Um, the access to um, treatment and like things that will extend your careers, like not only are they more prevalent, but players and athletes are more than willing to double down and invest in it. And so those two guys spend a tremendous amount of money, personal resources, time and energy to uh, maintain a certain level and improve. And, And when everyone tells you you need to slow down and you need to manage things. And you need to back off. These guys are continuing to find ways to stress themselves in positive ways that build resiliency in their games. And on top of that, their, you know, their skill levels, the accumulated skill they have is such a, such a high level. They can overcome some of the physical limitation. They can pick their spots and then they can make shots and make plays um, at, at like, absurd levels. So I, I think those guys are, They'll play as long as they want to play. I've always said like they're more likely to stop playing because they don't want to play anymore versus not being able to play.
0: Do you have a go-to LeBron story when people ask you, hey, tell me about LeBron James? Tell me a, a moment that you'll never forget. Is there one of those? Are there multiple ones? Is there anything you can share, James, about a story that you recall from playing with him where you just it reminded you how different he is? And how unique he is as one of the greatest players to ever play?
1: Um, I just go back to the, the chase down block against Golden State. Um, you know, he's playing 48 minutes every night, and it's the end of the game in the most critical time, and he's a, in a disadvantaged position, and he's head down like a track star, full sprint. Um, not even seeing what's in front of him, but just pushing the line, pushing the limit, and he goes and makes a block that saves the season and is a pivotal play um, amongst a bunch of pivotal plays that eventually led to a a championship. And so, you know, that to me is the all-out effort because if he doesn't make that effort, no one ever says anything. Um, It's just a given. You expect it. They have an advantage. No one can fault him for not trying um, but it meant that much to him, and he had that much left in the tank. So like to be able to play at that level and to give it up at that level at that time in the game, when you know the odds say you're not, you're, you're not going to be successful, it just, it just shows that the guy's willing to do whatever it takes and is capable of doing whatever it takes to make the plays that ultimately determine uh, whether or not you win or lose titles.
0: James, you've had quite a meteoric rise in this business, uh, going from being named general manager just a couple years ago to being the NBA executive of the year. Was this something that you had thought about when you were a player? Was this something that after you stopped playing, you said, you know, I think I want to get into personnel and talent evaluation? When did this uh, dream for you start?
1: I mean, it was a fleeting thought while I was playing, um, and it wasn't, You know, my goal coming into the NBA, I just wanted to be able to play um, at least 10 years and, uh, you know, accomplish a dream that I had as a kid to play professional basketball. And, you know, that would have been the ride for me. But as I continued to play and play for different teams and, you know, playing for the Miami Heat with Pat Riley, you know, and seeing Pat as an ex-player, ex-coach and executive, um, I, I saw the joy that it brought him to continue to be a part of the game in a different capacity and you know it it sparked something in me that was like if I had an opportunity to do it I would seriously consider it because I didn't want to coach I didn't want to go into the front office um, to start but then when you realize just the the nature of it and how you can continue to be a team member for life um, it's something that if you love the game that you're drawn to so coming here was was an opportunity that was extended to me by Robert I was afforded a great opportunity and whether or not I deserved it or not, like I I didn't have any front office experience. So he took a shot on me, a chance on me. And, you know, immediately I knew that this was something that I could get into and that I'd be, you know, that I'd I'd give it all up for. And I was able to surround myself or, you know, produce a team or build a team with some exceptional winners and leaders and, and some players that really care about winning. And I've been a beneficiary of that. I've been able to like sit and support and watch these guys reach crazy heights. And that's cool for me. So, um, I just come, I approach it every day, just knowing that someone paved the way as a basketball player for me, someone paved the way as an executive for me. And I just want to do my part and live
0: up to it. Two more questions, James. We'll get you out of here. I had Steve Keim, the Cardinals general manager on last week and asked him this question. So for fans that maybe don't know what it's like to be an NBA general manager, what is a typical day for you like in season? How much are you on the phone? How much are you looking at tape? How much are you talking to other GMs and agents? What's a, a typical day in the life of James Jones?
1: Um, it's all those things. You know, it's, it's you know, a typical day you wake up, I drop my kids off to school, I'm in the facility by 8 o'clock, and then from there it's, we're getting ready for games. Um, We're tracking who our opponents are playing. We're we're tracking personnel. Um, We're tracking our individual improvement plans, doing recaps from previous games. Um, You have shoot around from there. Um, We have games at night. And so you're watching um, how our guys are responding to defeat or success. Um, You're looking at rotations, talking to coach. Talk. I mean, it's just a little bit of everything. Um, It's a team effort, but it's a whirlwind. And then at the end of the day, You know, um, you're up at 8, you go to bed at 11, you wake up in the morning to, you know, 50, 60 emails and 30 text messages, you clear through those and you do it all over again.
0: And you're kind enough to spend 30 minutes on the podcast, which I appreciate. Last one, for the Suns to win the NBA championship, James, what has to happen this year?
1: We have to be one of the healthiest teams. I truly believe if we're healthy, if we um, if our guys are available, um, I don't think there's anyone better.
0: Love it. Hey, man, I really appreciate the time. I look forward to being on site to call some Suns games this year. And uh, I know I'm supposed to be unbiased, but living here in the Valley and you know being around the team for 20 years, uh, I'm rooting for you guys to have great success. So really appreciate the time, James.
1: Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Talk to you soon.
0: So there you have it from James Jones on why the Suns did not give DeAndre Ayton the five-year max. Also, what he expects from Devin Booker this year and Chris Paul. And he's pretty confident that if the Suns are a healthy team, there's nobody better in the NBA. And you know what? He might be right. James, the reigning NBA executive of the year. So the Cardinals have the Texans this week. Arizona, as you know, 6-0, the only remaining undefeated team and unbeaten through six games for the first time since 1974 the thing that has stood out to me the most not just last week against cleveland but overall is the growth maturity and leadership of kyler murray as steve kheim said on this podcast last week pre-snap kyler murray is seeing things differently he's beating teams with his brain he is handling the pocket differently than he did last year and we're seeing his leadership show up in different ways here in 2021 the touchdown pass to christian kirk showing that incredible athletic ability where he's running forward the defense has to respect that he might run and certainly capable of taking it into the end zone for a touchdown but instead with a flick of the wrist he throws a dart to christian kirk and puts it on the money as kirk is going out of bounds Kyler right now is playing better than anybody in the NFL. The Cardinals are playing better than anybody in the NFL. If they can win this game, get to 7-0, going into a Thursday night home game against the Green Bay Packers, that will be the game that's talked about more than any other in the NFL next week. First things first, taking care of business. And that's what championship teams do. They take care of business against teams they should beat. The Texans have a lot of injuries. They have a lot of problems with their team. Deshaun Watson's obviously not playing for other reasons. The Texans are not a good football team. The Cardinals are favored by 17. The Cardinals should win this game. To be a title contender, you have to do what you're supposed to do, and that's win this game, win it handily, and move on to Thursday against Green Bay. Thanks so much for listening to the Dave Pash podcast. Again, our thanks to Phoenix Suns general manager, James Jones. We'll talk to you soon.